Welcome to the latest edition of Pass the Baton, a podcast to educate agricultural businesses and farmers on how to work through generational transfer of farms. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest edition of Pass the Baton, our podcast for farmers. Today we're talking about a pretty important topic um, that involves off-farm children. Uh, a lot of farmers grapple with this problem and it's a constant source of discussion and uh, debate um, and emotion uh, with a lot of farming clients. And today I thought I'd just uh, tackle this topic from uh, from my perspective and, and from the things that I've learned and seen and, and heard over um, 20 or 30 years. And there's no right or wrong answer with the off-farm children. It's, again, it's always about tread your own path. Um, but the most important thing is that you have the conversation and that's where I want to start today is it's really important in uh, succession planning and, um, and, and I guess talking about the future to involve at some point, and, and I guess we'll talk about at what point that is, but involving the off-farm children in those discussions. They um, are not necessarily going to be owners of the farm and, and they're not probably ever going to be owners of the farm in a lot of cases, but they're what I describe to a lot of clients as emotional owners. Or uh, And it's a lot of times people forget that that's um, you know, where they grew up. It's where they might have had their 18th birthday party on the farm. They might have had their 21st birthday party on the farm and they might have, they, oh, they, not, they will have a lot of memories on um, the family farm. And I think it's important that um, that's respected and that's acknowledged. And um, with that in mind too, a lot of off-farm children um, potentially uh, as part of these conversations um, hold out hope that maybe their kids uh, they might have sons or daughters that might have um, aspirations to go back onto the farm, uh, even though their their mum didn't or their dad didn't. So it, it's really important to involve them. Now, in terms of when to involve them in the conversation is really intriguing. Um, there's probably never a perfect time to involve them, um, but I think it's important that um, that you sit them down probably one-on-one first or, or with their partner um, and have a discussion about what their uh, the child's expectations are what the child um, thinks should happen or what can see happening what do they want for their own lives uh, what are their goals um, what are their aspirations and I do talk uh, a lot about opportunity um, a lot with with clients with regard to our farm children um, and what I mean by that is that um, if, if again, stereotypically speaking, a, a son uh, goes back onto the farm, um, he's provided an opportunity, uh, forgetting about the money, an opportunity to go back and farm. Y- We've seen by the off-farm children that he will be gi- he's given this opportunity and I guess the question that they will ask themselves is, what is the opportunity that we're being given? Now, that is the million-dollar question that a lot of parents have to answer. Opportunity doesn't mean equal money. Opportunity doesn't mean maybe any money at all. Opportunity is different to every person and opportunity means different things to different people. It might mean that you, the parents might help them out in a career. They might become a, a pilot. They might become a nurse. They might help them out with a deposit on a house. Uh, they might be, help them set up their, their first business. Uh, might be, they might become a florist and and they need um, working capital to set up their first business. Um, 
ultimately everyone has their own dreams and aspirations and um and and has their own opportunities in life and uh, it might not even be opportunity for them they might prefer for for um parents to pay help pay for their kids for the best education for their kids um so being the parents grandkids um that might be what they want um that might be something financially they can't provide and and therefore the parents might be able to help out um, I, I'm, I'm throwing up different ideas, but everyone will get a gist of, of what I'm trying to say here. Um, the second part of getting the kids involved and the off-farm children involved in the conversation, there's there's often a debate around whether the in-laws, if they've got partners, should be involved in that conversation. And I can only tell you that, again, from my own perspective, and this is um, even from my um, my my. My, my wife's family perspective is that having um, the in-laws around the table, of which I am one, um, in my wife's case, is crucial to having crystal clear communication. A lot of times, um, if you only invite, uh, I'll call it blood relatives, to a family meeting, um, people have a habit of um, hearing different things and people have a habit of hearing things and l- they're listening, but they're putting it through their own filters. They have their own biases. They um, hear things. They probably hear what they want to hear, and they don't hear what they don't want to hear. And so, quite often, um, you know, you that person will leave that meeting, and then the first t- thing that happens when they get home is their partner, respective partner, will ask them, "What how did the meeting go? What happened? What did what did everyone say?" And then. Everything's based on interpretation from there on. So, you know, how was the conversation? What was the mood of the conversation? What was the emotion? What was said? What was factual? What was not? Becomes an interpretation uh, to the part between the between the off farm child and the in law. Now, that can create massive controversy because if if they hear the different things and they're not hearing perhaps in the right way what they. Uh, the, the conversation correctly, it can create animosity um, at, between families. Um, and therefore, the only way I have figured out that you can probably nip that in the bud is to invite all of the family members at the same time to the same place and have the same conversation. And that way, people can walk away and at least a husband and wife can walk away and have a conversation about what was said and what was discussed when they both heard it at the same time from the same mouths. And I think that that has helped um, resolve a lot of issues over years um, and stopped a lot of animosity. It stops a lot of conspiracy theories and and a lot of assumptions being made. So, um, you know, give it some careful thought, get some professional advice if you need about these things. But I I wanted to highlight that I think that that um, part of the process is really crucial. Um. One of the other things I talk about with off-farm children is also um, perhaps having um, in an education sense or in an information sharing sense, invite them even in an ongoing sense to a once a year meeting, like a an annual family meeting. Uh, it can be uh, off-site. Um, it, it can be um, just somewhere where you can go away, maybe for half a day or a day, talk about what's going on on the farm, what your plans are, what's everyone up to what's the direction everyone's heading in and it's just about communicating what's going on and I think that that um, you know annual family day sort of thing and 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 or retreat 
I've seen a lot of families who have tried it, and it has been a fantastic. Um, it has been a fantastic opportunity to share information, but more importantly, one of the bits of feedback that I've got about it is it's actually provided with a, f- a fantastic opportunity for families to, to continue to um, maintain good, healthy relationships. Um, a lot of times in families, we take for granted our brothers, our sisters, we're our parents, we take for granted our, our, uh, our, our nieces and nephews. And what that retreat can do is help re-establish good, close, personal bonds between um, direct family members. And if you've, if you've got good, healthy relationships, what will come from that is good, healthy communication and good, healthy conversations. Because as soon as the relationship part of the, the equation breaks down, then the trust breaks down and then the communication breaks down and, and from then on it's a slippery slope to nowhere. So um, I, I think that having those annual meetings in some way, shape or form is um, very helpful. Um, in terms of who, what, where, when in terms of with the off-farm children, um, I wanted just to talk a little bit about strategies. You've heard me talk about insurance before with the dead plan how a lot of farmers use insurance um, to, um, I guess, act as a, as a mechanism to protect the off-farm children. Should something happen to mum and dad, then there's an insurance payout and they go, yep, that's your check. Um, that's in lieu of getting any part of the farm um, and away you go. As I've previously pointed out on this podcast, that that can be a short-term solution but is never a long-term solution. Uh, the long-term solution of insurance gets the insurance gets very uh, expensive. It gets very hard to maintain, and um, it, it ends up being really unsustainable. So, I think insurance, um, you know, again, it has its time and place, but I want to take it away from being a long-term solution. In terms of um, the, the the how much part of it off farm children again it's it's about sitting down and having a rational conversation about it in an atypical s- situation um, a lot of parents will leave behind all of their off farm assets um, to the off farm children and what I mean by that is things like their superannuation they might have a few investments um, in their own names they might have a um, a, a house uh, in the city or they might have a an investment property. Uh, they, they might have uh, a beach house at a, at a seaside town. And again, atypically, those are the types of assets that then get bundled up and left um, to the off-farm uh, children. Depending on how much they are, um, is it rea- creates a really interesting conundrum because there's a very clear, um, uh, I'll call it, connection between the retirement plan which you've heard me talk about before and then what is left for the off-farm children and what I mean by that is if your goal is to leave a legacy a substantial legacy to some off-farm children to try and help um, I'll, call, I'll call it for all intents and purposes improve the fairness of what goes to the off-farm children um, the um, then it's really important that you, the parents, then have a sustainable income stream from the investments that's not drawing down the capital. So if you start with a million dollars in a super fund and you're spending eighty, seventy, or eighty thousand dollars a year, there is a very high likelihood, particularly in this probably environment that we're in with low low returns, that you might your million dollars by the time you're ninety five is no longer worth or no longer looks like a million dollars. 
And so careful consideration needs to go with your retirement planning and how the money is flowing with an end game that at 95 or sometime um, thereabouts, um, depending on how long people live for, of what is going to the off-farm children. A couple other points to note with that is timing becomes pretty crucial too. Um, I've had various conversations around when a, a farm passes on to a, a child going back on farm, at, say in their mid-40s, and then they've got their opportunity in their mid-40s. That's their opportunity to develop their asset base, to go and grow, go and, and, and be the people they want to be. And they're in control of their futures to some degree. What you find then is that the parents who say, right, well, we're now we've got to retire. We, we're going to leave all our off-farm assets to our off-farm children when we die. Well, that might be 30 or 40 years in and hopefully 30 or 40 years later. What can, what can this can create is a, in a lot of cases can create a bitterness between uh, on-farm and off-farm children in a sense that the off-farm children go, well, hang on, you got your opportunity in your mid-40s. We might not see any potential benefit of this until we're in our 60s and we're already retired and, and, and moving on our way. And ultimately, um, I agree with that comment, I, but, and it's not an easy problem to solve because the first primary um, goal we've got to do is get mum and dad to have a happy retirement and, and then the second goal is the transition of assets. Um, the timing of those transition of assets becomes crucial. You should just keep the timing in mind um, because it can create um, animosity and therefore, again, just having open, honest, transparent conversations about this and making everybody's intentions or expectations clear can help um, deal with some of this um, situation because if you're not talking about it as a family, I'll guarantee it's being talked about behind your back um, because people do see this, people do know about it and people um, talk about it. So timing uh, can be an interesting one. I've seen a lot of families, um, farming families, develop a good asset base where they pre-inherit um, some assets to off-farm children. Uh, they help them out with cash flow payments along the way depending on their financial circumstances. So there's more, there are ways of, of dealing with the issue, um, but there, there's, again, it's just a conversation. The other thing that I, I really wanted to talk about um, uh, today is, is really just also having, um, we talked a bit about education of, of farm children. Um, I've seen advisory boards also work for off-farm children, and, and it's a bit of a quirky one. It's a bit along the lines of the uh, annual meeting and advisory boards, and you might have two or three of these a year, from time to time you can invite, or all the time you can invite the off-farm children to, to listen to the meeting or come along and ask questions, maybe even depending on what, what stage of succession planning you're at. But the advisory boards with your professional advisors around the table can also prove to be an excellent conduit to helping bring the family along on the journey. One of the other uh, interesting ways of looking at um, how much uh, you leave for off-farm children is, uh, as it compared to to the on-farm child, um, is to to consider what the on-farm child would be left with at the end of their working career. And what I mean by that is, everyone looks at farming uh, an on-farm child. You know, they get to go on farm. It's a big asset. Typically, it could be a five, ten, fifteen million dollar asset base. Plenty of money, plenty of machinery, 
and and so on. But at the end of the day, they're probably going to pass that going through exactly the same process that their parents have been through, where they pass that asset on to their children, and that asset then. Really, no matter whether it's worth five million, ten million, twenty million dollars, it becomes completely irrelevant because the only thing that the child, the on-farm child, walks away with is their super fund or is an off-farm asset, and and basically the things that help them through their retirement. And so it's really interesting doing, you know, back of the envelope calculations, and saying, hey, if this farm continues working for for um, the on-farm child for another fifteen or twenty years, whatever the time frame is. What will they be able to achieve and what will they be able to take out off-farm in that time frame? Because that will then at least provide a little bit of a framework to say, are we being fair or not? Are we actually leaving behind one child an opportunity? Yes, but an opportunity to grow their personal wealth off-farm in the same manner we're leaving a a pot of money or assets for our off-farm children. And I think that a lot of people get caught up in the current valuation of the farm without really thinking through how that affects the on-farm child down the track. Because a lot of farming children going back, um, you know, they, they, they could go through 10 bad years and struggle to put anything away off-farm at all. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that will understand that. And that means that they get into their mid-50s or late early 60s and they don't have any off-farm assets. They might look at the off-farm children who might have received a million dollars each in superannuation or other assets and think, geez, you, you did really well out of this. So I think that it, you've got you've to really have a clear framework for how you think about this. Don't get caught up in the, the now. Think through all the circumstances and, and try and think about what the on-farm child will be left with, I think is a really crucial part of this conversation. Um, so there's no there's no easy answers with off-farm children, um, and it's again um, one of those things that um, everyone will just every family just needs to tackle. Um, they they need to be aware of all the issues that exist. Um, they need to be aware of the dynamics in their family that exist as well, and um, don't assume that people and the off-farm children know anything at all. <laughs> um, you know, make sure you explain everything clearly. Uh, make sure you explain the timing clearly. Make sure you explain where the assets are clearly. Um, and, and and it's really important so that you don't have difficult conversations or or um, really ugly conversations down the track. Um, if you've got any questions about off-farm children, it's a big topic and I'm more than uh, happy to to, can, um, to answer any questions people have on this feel free to email through and uh, thanks for listening today. Cheers.